Okay. So when you follow Jesus, uh, God calls you into mission. God calls you into responsibility. So this is what happened. Jesus bought your life with his blood and body on the cross. And then he says to you, okay, now take up your cross and follow me. Live out your responsibility. Love God and love your neighbor. Make disciples. Love people enough to tell them the truth. Have integrity when uh, things are hard. Use your gifts to serve each other. Uh, Give your money away. Humble yourself before God and others. Like There are all of these responsibilities, these, these things that Jesus calls us into once we place our trust in him. And here's the amazing thing. We go into all of those things with this amazing security. That God's analysis of us doesn't depend on how well we do the job. It's not like he's not like waiting to punish us if we mess up. But he loves us and and sees us as he sees his beloved son, Jesus, because Christ bought our lives with his blood on the cross. So, yes, like Jesus gives us responsibility and calls us to do it and then gives us this full assurance going in that he's got our backs, that that uh, whatever failure we might encounter, that it's it's not too great. It's not greater than God's grace towards us. Right. So he gives us responsibility and he gives us assurance on the front end. So my title this morning, my title is this. What will I face when I step into calling? It's a question. What will I face when I step into calling? And the reason I ask that question is because we all have responsibility. As Christians, as Christ followers, we all have responsibility that we're called to. And so in answering that question, uh, I just want to tell you on the front end, you will face obstacles when you step into calling. You most certainly will face obstacles when you step into calling. So uh, let's uh, start turning our attention towards the text. So uh, just a little bit of context for for what's been happening with us as a church, where we've been going. So when crisis hit a few weeks ago, we took we took about three weeks to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus, that hope that grounds us in the midst of fear, the hope that we have a God who goes with us into the valley of the shadow of death, all of this stuff. And, and before that, we were actually following Moses's story in the book of Exodus. Today, we're going to pick up on that story. And we're kind of at the point in the story where Moses is getting ready to step into his calling. You see, God uh, God showed up to Moses in the burning bush. God gave Moses a responsibility. He's calling Moses to actually be the deliverer of Israel, to go and, and confront Pharaoh, to uh, lead Israel out of Egypt. And along with that, he's given Moses a series of promises. In fact, uh, the last time we looked at Moses' story, we looked at a series of excuses that Moses came up with, that that Moses came up with for for every reason why he couldn't do the thing that God was calling him to do. And what was interesting was that God met every single excuse that Moses had with a promise. And so now Moses is actually getting ready to follow through with this responsibility that God has given him. And this morning, we're going to see four obstacles that Moses has to face. And then we're going to discover that actually having on our, our, our eyes on the obstacles is probably not the most helpful focus for us to have. So we're in Exodus chapter 4, and we're starting in verse 18. This is what it says. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, 
for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and went back to the land of Egypt. So right now, uh, where we are in Moses' journey, Moses is now in the place where he's taking this step of obedience. He's walking into his calling, into this responsibility that God has given him. Now, while Moses is on this journey, God is kind of giving him the game plan for what he plans to do. While Moses is kind of walking along from Midian back to Egypt, God's kind of giving him the details. And and the next verses actually clue us into this. But the the gist of what God is saying is this. Moses, you're going to go and confront Pharaoh. You're going to go talk to him. But Exodus 4.21 says this, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So Moses, Moses, I'm going to give him over to the disposition of his heart. I'm going to make sure that he continues to respond negatively to you. And then in his obstinance, I will make a mockery of everything that he puts his faith in. Most significantly, Moses, he's going to continue to refuse you. And then Moses, this is what you're going to tell him. Exodus 4.23, if you refuse to let Israel go, I will kill your firstborn son. God tells Moses, you're going you're to let him know that I will kill his firstborn son if he refuses, if he continues to be obstinate. So God gave Moses this plan. And it's important to note this, uh, especially this last part, because Moses is about to encounter his first obstacle as he steps into his calling. So uh, just for what it's worth, before we step into this next passage, you just need to know this is about one of the weirdest passages for 20th century Americans to read. So just be prepared for that on the front end. Okay, here we go. Exodus 4, 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, his wife, uh, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Okay, what in the world is going on here? Uh, Let's talk about circumcision for a second. Circumcision for the Israelites was a mark of the covenant. So all of the men of God's people were to be identified with this mark. This is the mark that set them apart specifically as God's people. And so apparently what had happened was that uh, Moses had not circumcised his son And because of this, God actually sets out to kill Moses' son. So uh, we're left to conclude this because God, in the verse immediately prior, talks about killing Pharaoh's firstborn son for his disobedience. And so so the idea that we get is, is God made it obvious in some way. God did something. We're not exactly sure what it was, but God made it obvious that he was going to kill Moses' son because of Moses' disobedience, because Moses did not actually give his son this mark of the covenant before he left on the journey. And so then Zipporah, his wife, she actually figures out what is happening. She kind of puts the pieces together and she discovers why it's happening. And so she solves the problem herself by performing the circumcision. And then she rebukes Moses for not doing it earlier. Okay, so you might look at this whole story and go, okay, gosh, that's like that's a little intense. Uh, Did God really have to respond like that? Uh, So you can ask that question. Sure. But I don't want you to miss the deeper reality for Moses. 
When Moses chose not to do this, it was a sign that Moses was holding out, that he somehow wasn't all in with God's plan. It, it was a choice by Moses to actually hold something back from the Lord. So uh, it was like Moses was saying, well, you know, I don't want you to smite me for not doing the thing that you tell me to do, but I'm not ready to fully identify with your people. So you know what? I'm going to keep my son out of this as much as I can. So what this reveals to us is that, that even after Moses agrees to go and do the thing that God tells him to do, he's not actually all in with what the Lord wants from him. He's still holding something back from the Lord. He's saying, okay, God, you can have this piece of my life, but you can't have this piece of my life. And so here we see uh, we see Moses' first obstacle as he steps into his calling. And it is this, when you hold out, God confronts. And this, this should be seen as an obstacle. It should also be seen as a, a warning because God, he's not interested in people stepping out half-heartedly. So when you start stepping out into the things that he's called you to, uh, he'll actually he'll confront your half-heartedness. Like you can step out half-heartedly, but he will confront your half-heartedness. He will confront that sin that you're holding off to the side. He will confront the thing that you don't really want to deal with. He'll confront the activity that you treasure more than you should, because if you're actually going to make an impact when you stand out, when you step out, uh, he needs every piece of you in order for you to make that impact. He needs every piece of you in order to use you. And so why say all of that? Well, many of you can probably imagine a responsibility that you have before the Lord, something that you need to step into, uh, but you're not fully engaged because you know to be fully engaged will cause you to lose something you don't want to lose. So what if one of the things, I'm just like wondering, I'm positing here for a second, what if one of the things that God is doing in this crisis, uh, to some people at least in this season, is taking away some of the things that people didn't want to give up? so that they would finally step up and serve him wholeheartedly instead of halfway. I don't know the answer to that question. It's just one to throw out there. But uh, the first obstacle uh, that you can fully expect as you pursue calling is that, that God is going to confront every time that you start holding out because he wants all of you. He doesn't just want a piece. Okay, the next obstacle. We'll see the next obstacle in chapter 5. So skip down to chapter 5. Exodus 5.1, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? So uh, here, Moses and Aaron, and we're going to come back to, to how Aaron shows up in the picture in just a second. But Moses and Aaron are carrying out the call of God. They're having their first meeting with Pharaoh. And uh, no surprise, Pharaoh is not interested in Yahweh and interested in the things that he wants. He's not interested in, in pleasing God or uh, interested in the things that God cares about because Pharaoh's heart is set on himself. He is at the center of his own world and he is protecting what is his. And so Pharaoh's objections to Moses and Aaron continue. Uh, Exodus 5.4, the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. So from here, uh, Pharaoh is actually going to view the request that Moses and Aaron made as obstinate. Uh, 
he is going to take it to mean that the Israelites have too much time on their hands. Uh, and then he is going to increase their workload even more. Now, if you remember back all the way back to the beginning of Exodus, uh, the work that the the Israelites had to do was already very intense. Uh, it was already uh, very heavy to them. And, and so Exodus 5, 6 clues us into the fact that it's going to get heavier. Uh, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as you did in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. So uh, the the idea that is present here is that the straw the the straw that used to be gathered that used to be provided for them by the people of Egypt. So so the people of Israel made bricks, uh, and that straw was provided for them. Pharaoh's saying now uh, they're gonna they're gonna have to go find it themselves. And so Exodus five eight says. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. So the people were scattered, verse 12, so the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. So uh, so what's happening here is the, the people have had uh, this responsibility to make these bricks. And now the resources that used to be provided to them are not being given to them. But Pharaoh is saying, on top of taking that resource away, he's saying they still have to continue producing the same amount. So they're already worked to the bone, more than they could imagine being worked. And now Pharaoh is requiring them to gather their own resources to make these bricks on top of actually producing the same amount that they were already producing. And so the, the translation actually doesn't do justice to the intensity of what's happening here because when it, it talks about the straw, so the straw are, are like the stalks of the plants that would be harvested. So after after they would harvest the grain or whatever from the, 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 the crop, the stalks of the plants, they used to be given to the Israelites. But now what's happening actually is that those stalks from the plants, yes, the grain is our, the, the crop is still being harvested, but those stalks are being taken away. And now essentially what the Israelites have left, what they're having to go gather is the stubble that remains. So what happens after you harvest a crop, you c- cut it off at uh, and then there's this little bit that remains between what you cut off and the root. And essentially what the Israelites are doing is they're going – this is what the stubble is. They're going around to gather up this like these little bits of pieces to be able to use to make their bricks. So their work was already very intense. But now the taskmasters are, are driving and whipping them to do something that is actually physically impossible. And so Pharaoh's outrage at Moses and Aaron's request, it, it, it leads him – to do a greater oppression than he has at any point previously. The second obstacle that we're looking at this morning is this. When you stand up, your opponents get heated. When you stand up, opponents get heated. Okay, so I say that, and the reality is most of us, um, all of us, don't. we don't really have a pharaoh in our lives. We don't have a person who is so actively working to oppress us and uh, intentionally making our life quite so hard. But let's just talk about the reality. When you start taking ownership of your calling, uh, you're calling to be salt and light in the world. You're calling to carry the presence of God, the peace of God, the truth of God into your spheres of influence. When you start actually doing this, you make a very confrontational stance with two groups that I want to identify for you. First of all, the first group is the antagonists. 
So the antagonist, this is uh, this is the group of people like uh, like Moses's Pharaoh, uh, people who have already made up their minds about God, already made up their minds that they want nothing to do with God, already made up their minds about the kinds of things that they might say to people who talk about God, talk about Jesus, these sorts of things. And, and for what it's worth, you know, Jesus made it clear for us as Christians, even though they might be antagonists towards us, Jesus made it clear we're called to love these people, we're called to pray for these people, right? But that's so that's one group, the antagonists. Uh, the other group that you make a confrontational stance with when you step into your calling is the spiritual realm, uh, spiritually dark forces. So, so we use the title Satan to refer to the head of these spiritually dark for- forces. Satan literally means adversary opponent, uh, the one who has chosen to challenge God, who, who has chosen to, to be an obstacle against us. And so uh, what am I saying with all that? Well, uh, you need to prepare yourself as you step into calling. You need to prepare yourself for the fact that the more boldly you own your calling, the more you become a target for these groups. So don't be surprised, actually, when like some relationships start to get more challenging. Don't be surprised when discouragement starts to hit. Uh, don't be surprised when parts of your life seem to be falling apart because your decision to own your calling is actually a decision to confront spiritual strongholds. So uh, focus, uh, focusing more specifically on the spiritual side of things, uh, at the beginning of this year, um, as uh, I was sitting with one of our leaders, uh, you guys know her, it's Sue, uh, and uh, we were talking about women's ministry, um, kind of just making some plans for the year. But but Sue, as she was heading into 2020, as she was setting her goals, this is what she said. She said, you know what, I want 2020 to be a year of confronting Satan. Uh, she she said, I, I don't want to let Satan rest in this time. I want to confront him. I want to knock on his door because – and here's the reality. You know what? Nothing, nothing is more confrontational than when God's people decide to take ownership of their calling of being salt and light in this world. Satan absolutely hates it, and he wants to do anything that he can to stop it. And so the reality is, is that um, as you as you start to step into your calling, there are people and there are forces that have decided that uh, you stepping into your calling is about the worst thing that could happen. And there will automatically become a target on you because of this. And so that's another obstacle to look out for. It's one that Moses, honestly, like when Moses goes to Pharaoh, it's one that Moses should have been expecting. Right. Because God told him, uh, you know what, I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay, so from there, the obstacles continue. Exodus 5.15. Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? Um, so this foreman, he, he recognizes the injustice. Uh, they, they recognize the impossibility of what they've been required to do. And uh, the thought kind of is behind this question is, you know what? If we work like this, if we continue to work like this, it will kill us. So in some ways, these four men coming to Pharaoh, this is like a cry for mercy from the people to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh doesn't respond kindly to that. Uh, Exodus 5.17. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. Uh, so just a uh, real quick, 
quick tip um, for any time that you see uh, something repeated in Scripture, one right after the other in the exact same way, uh, it is giving a kind of intense emphasis to that concept. So essentially, the idea that's given to us here is that Pharaoh, when these when these four men come to Pharaoh and just ask him, like, why do you do this? Uh, Pharaoh says, essentially yells at them, lazy, lazy. Like only he's he's saying, you know what? Only lazy people have time to contemplate worship and sacrifices. And you're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. And so apparently you don't have enough to do. So now go and do your work. So it goes on in verse 19. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. Uh, so, so the the foreman, the, the guys who are in charge of these workers, these Israelite workers, they um, they recognize the gravity of what's happening. They see the danger for their people. Um, you know, they had it hard before, but now there's there's a really strong chance that they will actually die because of this work that they're doing. And so, uh, Exodus five twenty one says this. So they came to Moses and Aaron, and they said, "The Lord." Look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So uh, something to see with clarity here. Moses has actually started the process by which Israel would be set free from their slavery. And, And actually, the people of Israel, they know that this promise belongs to them. Right. This is something that they are aware of. But the moment the heat gets turned up for them, they stop seeing the bigger picture and they only see what's immediately in front of them. And what's immediately in front of them is this. Moses went and confronted Pharaoh and now their lives are significantly harder because of it. And so so they're essentially saying, you know what, we've made Pharaoh mad and now he's given us work that will kill us. And so the third obstacle to watch out for when owning your calling is this. When you cause disruption, good people complain. When you cause disruption, good people complain. You know what? When, when God's people step up and they begin taking ownership of their calling, here's the reality. It actually it starts to change things. And in, in, in some cases, many cases, change can actually be a good thing. However, uh, more often than not, Change in a community, it actually requires people to lose something now for something better that they will gain later. So so change at its core is actually a step of faith because you cash in something that you currently have for something better that you can't yet see. So let's be real. Um, It's very likely that there is no change that we will ever experience in the modern Western world that will come close to this kind of experience that the Israelites faced. However, no matter how easy or hard the situation is, the principle still holds true. That when you take ownership of your calling, um, unfortunately, it frustrates sometimes the people whose good you're working for. And so that's just, you know, there's no commentary on that. That's just uh, just the reality that that exists as one of the obstacles that come comes up as you step into your calling. Okay, well, let's look at the last obstacle in this passage. Exodus 5, 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, 
why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So uh, Moses, he gets blamed by the foreman. And then uh, once he gets blamed by the foreman, once he sees their disappointment, he then turns around to blame God and express his disappointment towards God. Now, what should have happened is that Moses should have been grounded in God's promise. He should have been confident in God's word and the things that God had said. But it becomes clear that Moses had his own timeline in his mind again and uh, wasn't really interested in God's timeline. And so because of this, he starts to assume that God has done evil to the people of Israel. And so Moses, what happened is that he went into this unprepared to deal with the things that God already told him would happen. And so the final obstacle to watch out for is this. When you're unprepared, your heart is a threat. You know what? This is why it's so important for anyone who wants to take significant ownership of ministry to have a solid grounding in God's word, to have a solid daily devotional life, to have a quiet time with the Lord, to have a regular, consistent daily engagement in prayer. Because honestly, like the most dangerous thing to any person's calling or anybody's personal ministry is their own heart. A heart that is not in the right place will cause you to place blame where it doesn't belong. It will cause you to lose steam when you don't see the results that you expect to see. It will cause you to question and doubt God in a way that you never did before. So, you know, uh, for what it's worth, we all have a calling to step into. We all have a responsibility as Christians to take ownership of. And, and what we see in Moses' story is that when God's people take ownership of calling, it actually comes with various sets of obstacles. Okay, so uh, there was a major piece of this story that we skipped over before, and we're going to go back and look at it because in it, we see something that should have kept Moses grounded in the midst of all of these obstacles. Exodus 4.27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. So you know what? The Lord, the Lord had given Moses a promise. He said, Moses, you will not have to do this by yourself. I will give you someone to go with you. I will give you your brother who you, who you haven't seen for 40 years. So, so God gave Moses this promise. And, and you remember Moses back when he was arguing with God, he was saying, you know, God, I don't want to do this. I can't speak well. And God said, no, I've got a solution for that. I'll give you your brother Aaron. And so here God, actually, he follows through on the promise that he made. He sends Aaron to meet Moses out in the desert, and then they have this beautiful reunion together. And then God provides. So then skip forward uh, to, to verse 30. So you remember when Moses, he was convinced that the elders of Israel would not listen to him. They won't listen to me. They won't hear me out, that they, they would reject him. Well, Exodus 4.30, as soon as Moses and Aaron, they, they go to speak, verse 30 says, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. You know what? The text, it doesn't waste any time. They didn't deliberate. They didn't discuss. 
uh, Aaron shows up, he speaks the words, and they believed. You know what? They were crying out in the middle of their desperation, and God showed up. God brought them a leader. And all of them together in that moment, in the, they were locked away in some small room in Egypt. They worshipped God together. So you wonder if Moses, in this moment that happened, you wonder if Moses forgot this or lost sight of it. You know what? Our main point this morning is this. Don't let obstacles blind you to this promise. When you go, God provides. When you go, God provides. Okay, so what? So what? Uh, Number one, spiritual practices prepare you for the obstacles. Okay, so honesty time. Um, I get the sense that many of us uh, probably neglect regularly uh, implementing prayer and Bible study and Bible reading and meeting with God daily. Uh, And the reality is, you know what? If you are going to be effective in your calling, if you're going to make an impact for the kingdom, if you actually want to confront Satan and spiritual darkness, if if you're going to share Jesus with people, uh, if you're going to sacrificially serve and love your church and your neighbors, if you're going to uphold truth in a culture where it's eroding, if you're going to be faithful in the midst of physically and financially challenging circumstances, you know what? Every time you try to do any of that, you will face obstacles. And regular spiritual practices, spiritual practices that are thoughtfully and intentionally engaged are the things that actually equip your soul for the loss that you will experience through those obstacles. You know what? So Bible study that grounds you in God's character, Bible study that instructs you as to how to actually carry out your calling. Prayer that has you engaged with God's presence, prayer that's that's tracking with kind of every step of your responsibility as you go, asking God to provide along the way. Uh, giving sacrificially and regularly uh, that, that actually builds a soul that is ready and prepared to give things up. Serving others so as to fight entitlement in your soul. Uh, daily prayerful reflection and correction of the attitudes of your heart as you encounter each part. Like all of these practices, the regular practice of these things, all of these equipment your soul for the obstacles that come when you take ownership of your calling. So uh, if you're not doing any of them right now, um, this is not about shame. This is about equipping your soul for, for what you need to be equipped for. So if you're not doing any of them, I just encourage you pick one. Pick one. Start doing it tomorrow. Uh, make it a regular pattern throughout your day. You know, build the muscle, get it into routine for a couple of weeks. And then after you get a couple of weeks, you know, pick the next one, add it in and start figuring out a, a daily routine for how you can get this structured in and start building new patterns, new things that are built to equip your soul in order to be able to withstand all the obstacles that you will face as you step into your calling. Number two. So what number two, if you only focus on what you're losing, you will lose heart quickly. So you know what, Moses, he lost sight of what he had gained. His brother uh, meeting him in the desert, his people worshiping the Lord together. So don't take your eyes off of the faithfulness of the Lord. You know, as we consider this COVID-19 season that we're in, uh, you might be inclined to look at what we're losing in this season. Uh, You know what, we can't gather We can't have our regular studies in person together. We can't sing together. We can't hug each other. 
Uh, we can't be physically present with each other. We can't uh, meet with our crossroads kids. We can't have uh, big family gatherings. We can't see our friends. You know what? We've, we've lost a lot in the last six weeks. And we could choose to place our focus on all of that. Or we could actually like try to see what the Lord is up to in the midst of all of this. So you know what? Um, something cool that I've seen over the last few weeks, I've seen people stepping up and serving each other in ways that they weren't serving before. People stepping up and serving their neighbors in ways that they weren't serving before. Uh, I've, I've seen neighbors around my neighborhood uh, more excited to have conversations than ever before, which bodes well for us as we try to build relationships with our neighbors in order to introduce them to Jesus. Um, Easter. Let's talk about Easter for a second. Maybe some of you saw my email this week, but uh, we had 78 people join us online that we know of for Easter. And just to help you quantify that, that's more than we've had uh, in person in the last year. More people than we've had in person in the last year. We had 78 people who were actively participating in our online service. Uh, but on top of that, the data on our website actually indicates that we very likely had around 90 people watching and engaging in our Sunday morning worship service. So you know what? We may have lost a lot, but God is still doing something. People are more receptive to the gospel than they ever have been. Don't miss what God is doing. Okay, so this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll close our worship service. So Alliance Bible Church, would you pray with me, please? Lord, there are so many obstacles that could come against us. Lord, as we step out, as we begin taking ownership of calling, Lord, as we begin doing the thing that you know you get, that we know you've given us responsibility to do, Lord, there will inevitably be obstacles. Lord, but the obstacles are not there to cause us to lose heart. Lord, we, we are to, called to look at your faithfulness all along the way. Lord, that's why I'm so grateful that as we step into our calling, we go into it with the full assurance that you've already taken care of all of our failures in Jesus. That you've already covered us in Jesus' blood. That Jesus has rose from death, proving to us his power over our sin. That we need not worry about our failure. You just simply call us into faithfulness. So Lord, yes, the obstacles will come. You don't promise that the obstacles will leave us alone. They will be there. But Lord, you give us in the midst of it your faithfulness. Lord, you give us the promise that when we go, you provide for your mission. So, Lord, I am grateful for these things. I'm grateful that in leading our church as it is separated, Lord, I'm personally really grateful that you say you will build your church. Lord, we are inclined to rely on so many uh tools and devices and and not even just those things, but even our, our regular Sunday morning gathering, Lord, so many things that we're inclined to rely on to build your church. And Lord, this morning, we are grateful for the promise that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Lord, we thank you for these promises. And we ask that as we encounter the obstacles, as they continue to come, that you would keep us fixed on these promises and keep us trusting your faithfulness. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
Well, uh, Alliance Bible Church, do not forget to say bye. And then as you say bye, uh, just engage with one another and, and answer this question. Uh, how did God use this message to teach, train, challenge, encourage, or equip you? So uh, you can do that. You can answer that question in the chat room, either up above or down below. It's in both places. And thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning.